Well, good afternoon, you, and welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Are you well today? You are. I'm well. I'm in fine form and fine fettle. Thank you um, for tuning in. Get in touch with me. Stay with me throughout the programme. RichieAllen.co.uk if you'd like to leave a message. If not, doing it that way, you might download the app and send a message direct to the studio to me. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, there's so much to talk about today, so many things we can get into, you and me, together. We'll never be separated, you and me. Lots of things. It's you and me, it's just you and me today. That's okay, no problem there. I have a bag full of content for you that I think will tickle your fancy. So do get in touch. It's the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, from BBG Towers, with me, Richie Allen. Until God knows when. We'll, be, we'll meet again till God knows when. I'm here until God knows when. Hey, come here and tell you, let, let me read an email I received from Jen Byrne yesterday. Good evening, Jen Byrne, if you happen to be tuned my way today. She says, Richie, I sincerely hope you receive this message. Well, there you are. Number one, number one target achieved. I got the message. She said, I had my first appointment for physio at Carrick Macross HSE Medical Facility. It is a new building, says Jen, and it is indeed very lovely. Now, my admiration soon turned to dismay, however, when I was in the waiting room where I noticed a considerable number of teenage girls go in and out of a room. My gut reaction was, I hope they are not here for Gardasil. Then a young girl and her mom sat down beside me. I saw in the mother's hand some paperwork and a little card with the title Passport emblazoned on the front. Now it appeared to be some kind of Vax status booklet from what I could make out, says Jen. I was only in the waiting room for about 20 minutes and I'm sorry to say that at least 30 teenagers, most of the girls, but some lads too, came in and out during that time. Can you please ask your Irish listeners if their children have been given the same passport card and try to find out what exactly is it what's going on asks Jen all of the kids who went into this room had the exact same card with them I was disgusted says Jen and she was at the Carrick Macross HSE medical facility thank you Jen so over to our Irish listeners do you have any experience of that do you understand what Jen is alluding to you know, a passport or a vax status booklet for teens. Any relation to the Gardasil vaccine, which is supposed to protect children from the human papilloma virus, which is nonsense, but I won't get into it here because there's no need to get into it here. But good stuff from Jen. Any takers on that, please reach out to me via the website or via the app, please do. Now, the Telegraph today... I'll mention this because I know a lot of our listeners do retain some sympathy for the former leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. I don't know why you retain some sympathy for him, but I respect all opinions on this programme. I respect your right to your opinion. I still get the odd email, the odd one, not so often, saying I can't believe you didn't support Jeremy Corbyn, Richie. Yeah, anyway, Glastonbury. 
has pulled a screening of a film, a film, a documentary, which defends Jeremy Corbyn over allegations, A, that he is anti-Semitic, and B, that he allowed anti-Semitism run rampant in the Labour Party on his watch. The film is entitled Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Have you heard about this? Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. And um, it's not only been banned from Glastonbury, it's been banned in a number of different towns where, where screenings had been booked in various places. The film is called Oh, Jeremy Corbyn, The Big Lie. So... Uh, Glastonbury begins this weekend it goes on for five days but you wouldn't think so because uh, the BBC covers it and really only covers Friday Saturday and Sunday right so the the film was going to be shown at Glastonbury but now it's been cancelled because various Jewish groups including Marie van der Zyl who's the president of the Board of Deputies of British Jews now she wrote a letter to the co-organisers of Glastonbury, your man Michael Evis, the founder of the festival, and his daughter Emily. And Marie van der Zyl from the Board of Deputies of British Jews, she said that she had deep concern about the film. Now in the letter she said, Your festival, dear Glastonbury, dear Mr Evis and Emily, uh, your festival is one of the most successful festivals in the UK. Right? It seems profoundly sinister for it, the festival, to be providing a platform to a film which clearly seeks to indoctrinate people into believing a conspiracy theory effectively aimed at Jewish organisations. The letter continues, We would request that you not allow your festival to be hijacked by those seeking to promote hatred, with no basis in fact, in the same way as we would hope that your festival would not screen films seeking to promote other conspiracy theories such as anti-vaccination, 9-11 truthers or chemtrails. Yes, it seems that Marie van der Zyl, and I know all about her, dear listener, I know all about that bastard, because that's all she is. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll hold back. I shouldn't, I shouldn't behave like that. My arse will I hold back. I know all about that bollocks. Marie van der Zyl and the Board of Deputies of British Jews, they hounded every guest, not every guest, but many guests who came on this programme in 2018, 2019 and 2020. The Board of Deputies of British Jews went after those guests and told them, don't go anywhere near the Richie Allen show again, because he is a fermenter of anti-Semitic thought. He platforms hateful people. This woman, Marie van der Zyl, disgusting old bollocks, right? So now she's writing to Glastonbury and I can only assume she hasn't seen the film, but I don't have any proof she hasn't seen the film, saying, don't allow anybody to see this film because it promotes hatred. Um, as far as I can tell, and I have no time for Jeremy Corbyn. Can't stand him, to be honest, right? But the film seeks to defend the allegations that ultimately led to Corbyn having to stand down. Well, he stood down after he had his arse handed to him by Boris Johnson in the 2019 general election. But the film seems to allege that Corbyn's election failure in 2019 was as much to do with a conspiracy to destroy him because of his support for the Palestinian cause, right? A conspiracy by agents of Israel 
working in British politics and working within his own party, the Labour Party. So that seems to be the premise of the film, Oh Jeremy Corbyn, The Big Lie. And this woman from the Board of Deputies of British Jews, she's likening the film to anti-vaccination, 9-11 truthers, or chemtrails. So the film was due to be screened on Sunday, but inevitably the Glastonbury organisers, Evis and his daughter, inevitably they capitulated and didn't do what they should have done, which was say, as I would say, and I've proven this in the past, so this is not a tough talk from your presenter. I've done it a thousand times. I would have told Marie van der Zyl to go and get fucked. Um, you disgusting censor, you rotten fascistic bitch. They've made a film about this guy's time at the Labour Party and about the accusations that he is some sort of rabid Jew hater. They've answered this charge against him in this documentary. We'll show the documentary on Sunday and we'll let people make their own mind up. We won't try to tell people what to think. But no, they always back down, particularly when it's these Zionist groups like uh, the Board of Deputy Deputies of British Jews. They always collapse. You know, Desmond Swain, Tory MP, collapsed. Others who came on this programme, who were invited back, ah, oh, we can't, collapsed. Because these people said, oh, don't go on there. Don't you know he had on a, a Holocaust denier years ago? These are disgusting people. They're fucking disgusting! And the only way to deal with these people is to stick two fingers up to them and to tell them no. No, you scum. We'll show the film. And if you've got something to fucking say about the film, why don't you grow a pair of fucking testicles and come to Glastonbury on Sunday where we'll have a debate afterwards, you fucking coward. But I've invited these people on this programme before. You know what their get-out-of-jail card is, these scum? You know what their get-out-of-jail card is? We don't debate with bigots, yeah. That's the cowards. That's the cowards' creed in 2023. When you're gutless, when you're spineless, when you haven't the balls or the metal to stand up, to stand up and debate with the people whom you accuse, your get out of jail card is well, we don't debate with bigots. Cowards, every one of them. But I'm going to say this, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You know who's a bigger coward? You know who's worse than the Board of Deputies of British Jews? You know who's worse? The Glastonbury organisers for bending over and taking down their trousers and their knickers and saying, yeah, go on, go on, we'll do what you tell us to do. I've no time for Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn is a fraud, a grifter, in my opinion. He had three and a half, whatever it was, four years, three and a half years as leader of the Labour Party when the media spotlight was on him and he had nothing to say during that time. Nothing. Nothing. The things he used to say as a backbencher, the things he used to say when he was out on the stump grifting, grifting the pro-Palestinian lobby. All of a sudden, Jeremy Corbyn was struck dumb, wasn't he? When he arrived at the top table, Labour, they always are. Two cheeks of the same arse, it doesn't matter. But they're worse, Evis and his and his daughter, for saying, yeah, yeah, OK, we'll ban the film, we won't show it. They are Fucking disgusting. That's all they are. The news is next. Yeah. 
UK number one in 1988 for U2 Rattle and Hum the album Desired the song it's quarter past the hour Hi to Diane Yeah You know what it is I learned a long time ago not to hate because it's corrosive it's destructive there's no good no good ever comes from it and if my better half was sitting here now and I've never been as challenged by a person during my life as I have been by my better half. She wouldn't put up with me bullshitting you. She would tell you, I don't hate anybody. I go about my my days in good humour. I'm pretty level. I'm never too high. I'm never too low. And I don't hate anybody. There isn't a but here. I do not hate these people. I don't know if despise is some sort of lesser form of intolerance, but I cannot tolerate breathing the same air as these cowardly scum. I really can't. These people who would change the world into a place where people can be accused of things they are not guilty of and never get the chance to defend themselves or they never have the courage to face those they accuse. It's the only thing that drove me maybe a little bit mad back in 2019 when I was getting it in the neck from these people. The thing that drove me mad, I remember Hayden Hewitt to his eternal credit. I remember Stephen Englander, my accountant, Jewish chap from North North Manchester, one of the finest men you'll ever meet. I remember they said to me, are you okay? I said, no, I'm fine. I, I've, I, I genuinely have thick skin. None of this. The only thing that bothers me is not what they say about me. It's the fact that the fucking bastards don't have the balls to face me in public. That is the only thing that bothers me. And then... And then, later on that month, we just moved in to BBG Towers in Salford. Later that month, I made my peace with it, and I've never looked back. You might say, well, you haven't made your peace with it, Richie. You're, you're, you're on one today. I am on one today. Because, again, the Telegraph printing that bullshit. The Mirror printing it. The Guardian printing it. Instead of standing up to it. Instead of saying to that witch from the Board of Deputies of British Jews, listen, let's get you around the table. We'll do it on Times Radio, maybe. Maybe we'll do it on LBC. Let's get you in a room with Corbyn. But no, they don't. Again, I have no time for Corbyn. I don't care about him. He's big and ugly enough to defend himself, but he chose not to. Somebody said to me, you know, oh, Richie, you gave him a hard time. Listen, when... When we were a week or two out from the 2019 general election, Andrew Neil of the BBC at the time did a series of live interviews with the party leaders. Live. Live is important, dear listener. You might say, ah, you're a naive baldy bollocks. They probably, they probably operate a delay. Yes, they do. They do operate a delay, but it's generally during phone-in programmes. I'd be very surprised if they were operating a delay system when the party leaders were being interviewed. These were live interviews on BBC One, 7pm in the evening. And Andrew Neil sat across from Jeremy Corbyn. The interviews are available to watch on YouTube and basically accused him of being an anti-Semite. What did Jeremy Corbyn do? He did nothing on live television. That's an open goal for somebody like me. You know what I wouldn't give? 
there isn't anything really I wouldn't give to be afforded the opportunity to be on the BBC live in front of a fat, useless piece of shit like Andrew Neil, where he would say to me, you're an anti-Semite. Oh my God. That's like a thousand orgasms in the same orgasm. Oh, thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to annihilate Andrew Neil. Jeremy Corbyn did nothing. He did nothing. In Corbyn's place, would I have ranted? Would I have lost my cool somewhat? Like, maybe, I, maybe I've lost my cool at the beginning of this programme? No. No, not in a million years. Uh, Andrew. Andrew, thank you for, 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 for calling me an anti-Semite to my face and not doing it on Twitter and on Facebook. I'll give you that much, Andrew. Thanks for having the balls to do it on, on live television. I would have said, Andrew, you're defending a, an, a, a racist, brutal, illegitimate regime which shoots pregnant women dead at checkpoints, which tortures children, which bulldozes homes, sometimes with people in them, even though this is contrary to United Nations resolution after resolution after resolution. It's a murderous, genocidal, Nazi-esque, Nazi-esque regime that does nothing other morning, noon and night than try to grind the Palestinian people into the dust. And all I've done for my political career, Andrew, is try to raise awareness of this. And you have the balls to call me an anti-Semite when I'm running to be the Prime Minister of this country. Are you not ashamed of yourself, you gelatinous, toad-esque little man? You're not disgusted with yourself to be enthralled to a regime like that. But Corbyn did none of that. None of it. He put his tail between his legs and he did that Corbyn-esque thing where he pursed his lips together and took, took the huff, took, the, took, took offence, but did nothing, didn't come back at him. Jeremy Corbyn is another grifter amongst grifters in UK politics, another party leader grifter who disappointed everybody who ever followed him, who travelled around the country to hear him talk about Palestine and the genocide that goes on there day in and day out, which I don't talk about anymore. Do you know why I don't talk about it anymore? I suppose COVID is partly to do with it. Because, tragically, nobody gives a shit when you talk about Palestine. Um, and by nobody, I don't mean you. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you follow it. You know what goes on there, day in, day out, that doesn't get reported. It only gets reported when Israel invents uh, Operation Protective Edge or something like that every two or three years, and then carpet bombs Gaza as they're trying to rebuild from the previous carpet bombing campaign, carpet bombs it back to the Stone Age and kills hundreds more children. I gave up. People who've listened to this show going back years would have said you talk about it too much, Richie. Used to, used to talk about it. Used to interview people in Gaza when we could. People in other parts of Palestine, even Jews, who uh, Israelis I should say, who would have been... Um, either supportive of a two-state solution or a one-state solution of Palestine. I gave up. Corbyn. I say no more about him. So I've no time for him, I've no interest in him or anything about him. But um, it's sickening to see this, you know. I mean, this, the, the, you, you know, for Jewish people, presuming this is Marie van der Zyl, she must be Jewish, for Jewish people to think it's okay to ban fucking films... I mean, is the irony lost on these people? 
Presumably it is. It's 22 minutes past the hour. I will read a few comments in a moment, but I've got quite a bit to get through. So let's do that. I might come back to that. So in the Telegraph, I read the broadsheet newspapers as well as the tabloids, right? It might sound a bit Telegraph-centric today, but some interesting things in the Telegraph and I've got some um, interesting audio for you now. Schools let children identify as horses, dinosaurs and a moon. Difficult as it may be to believe, this is the Telegraph. Children at a school in East Sussex were reprimanded last week for refusing to accept a classmate's decision to self-identify as a cat. The Year 8 pupils were told they would be reported to a senior leader after their teacher said they had, quote, really upset, end quote, the fellow pupil by telling them, you're a girl, not a cat. So the incident at Rye College, first reported by the Telegraph, was not a one-off. Inquiries by this newspaper have established that other children at other schools are also identifying as animals. And the responses of parents suggest that the schools in question are hopelessly out of their depth on the question of how to handle the pupils' behaviour. Now that's vaudeville in the extreme. Schools are out of their depth on the question of how to handle things when pupils say, I'm a cat, or I'm a mermaid, or I'm a dog, or I don't know, I'm an oompa lump, right? Out of their depth in how to handle that. Thought it'd be pretty simple, right? You're not. Shut your mouth and go back to reading your book or whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing. Go back to your papier-mâché model. And stop fucking winding me up. You couldn't say that to a child, of course, right? So the Telegraph discovered that a pupil at a secondary school in the southwest is insisting on being addressed as a dinosaur. At another secondary school in England, a pupil... Secondary school now. If this was preschoolers or first formers or second formers, you might understand it. But this is secondary school kids. A pupil insists on identifying as a horse. Another one wears a cape and wants to be acknowledged as a moon. Bring back the birch. <laughs> Bring back the birch. You want now? Get into my office. Six of the best. Thank God I'm too young for that shit. Did you have to put up with that? I'm sure you know an uncle or a grandparent who had to put up with the physical abuse. I was given a smack on the hand with a ruler when I was in um, first form or first standard. The teacher was a woman called Magella Curtin. Magella Curtin. I remember she took a ruler and whacked me. It was a very cold morning. So it stung like a bitch, right? I never told anybody. It, it, it really was true, the old adage, that if you went home and said, I got a whack with a ruler, you'd get a belt in the mouth. you get another belt. I don't mean physically a belt. That's Irish slang. A belt means a slap. In England, a belt means the actual belt. It means somebody removing a belt and whacking you around the arse or the back of the legs. I got a whack. I got a belt in the mouth. Or I would have done. What's wrong with you? Why are you crying? Miss Curtin smacked me with a ruler. Bosh, get another one. <laughs> In the mouth. Well, you must have done something. That's an old adage, but it's a true adage. So children are identifying as animals, according to the Telegraph, as dinosaurs. The story goes on. Sometimes, um, people who identify as animals are known as furries. And this has been circulating for some time. Some of them, such as, such as tales of schools providing litter trays to cater for this have turned out to be hoaxes. 
Thank God for that. Thank God that there isn't any school. Thank God no school has acquiesced and said, listen, we'll get you a litter tray. So is this funny? Is it bizarre? Is it scary? Is it all three? A caller to LBC Breakfast has the answer, surely. The man's name is Tony, and Tony knows exactly what to do. Over to Tony. A lot of this falls at the feet of the parents. If if they are seeing what's going on and they're sending them off to school, they need to be pulled up. Because what I said to your researcher there just now was, Mm. if my kids, say we Johnny, came to me and said, "Um, I want to be a horse or I want to be a a dog or a cat, I would say, okay, right, um, no McDonald's. We don't, dogs and cats and horses don't eat McDonald's. And um, there's a bowl. No McDonald's bowl of water there and if you'd like to go to the toilet you're going to have to go outside fantastic you can drink from a bowl of water near the door if you want to go to the loo you can get outside you little bollocks okay <laughs> no seriously because no you're right no absolutely realize, if, yeah yeah if they realize that this is something that's actually it's in their heads okay and it's an idea it's an idea right but if you follow the idea through to its full extent put them on a lead take them out for a walk if you follow the idea through to its logical conclusion, kids, you're going to be on a lead from now on. <laughs> Eating out of a bowl. I've got some lovely treats for you that I picked up in the local pet shop. I can guarantee you 99% of these children would lose these ideas. Maybe they would. Maybe they bit would. Bit of tough love there, Tony. Yeah, a bit of tough love from Tony. And maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. That's Tony. Now, Miriam Cates is a Conservative Party MP, and she's been all over this of late, hasn't she? She's made it kind of a career issue to protect kids from queer theory and gender bollocks, as I call it. I think it's worth saying in that Telegraph article where they report about the the girl who thinks she's a cat, they do say that there's been a lot of hype and it's not quite clear how widespread this belief of children being animals is. So I think we should say that. But clearly there are some obvious evidence cases that are in that. And then more widely, we know there are thousands of children who are identifying as the opposite gender um, to their their birth sex. Um, You know, what's gone wrong? As you say, all children play, all children role play. It's a really important part of growing up. Uh, it's a part of forming empathy. It's fun. You know, children pretend to be the opposite sex. They yes. pretend to be animals. They pretend to be, you know, characters from history and movies and things like that. But the role of a parent and teacher is to say, that's great, but you know it's not real, don't you? Or if the child yeah. asks the question, is it real? No, it's not real, but it's great. You have fun. And I think we've got into a serious problems as a society really where we're frightened to say no to children or to tell children the truth and the later you leave it to tell a child the truth the more you allow them to believe the lie the more damaging the consequences later on when they do come into conflict with reality yeah miriam cates their tory mp everybody was talking about this today the children identifying as cats and dogs and dinosaurs and oompa loompas and everything and hilariously gb news spoke to martin daubeny and a part-time teacher called uh, Bobby Siegel. Fuck off. No, no, his name is really Bobby Siegel. Fuck off. Honest to God. Honest to God. I know, right? You're talking about kids identifying as animals and then you invite a teacher to comment and his name is um, Bobby Siegel. Fuck off. His name is Bobby Siegel. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing I would have done. When, <laughs> when I was producing, I was a bit wicked. I would have tried to find a, a teacher to comment on this who had a surname that um, was had some similarity to the animal kingdom. 
that's the kind of thing you got to do and see can you get away with it. Anyway, Bobby Siegel, he's a bit woke. What does he think? Bobby, do you accept that? Do you think that schools have stopped focusing on educating children and it's becoming politicised and perhaps it could even be deterring some people from working in schools? So again, as a part-time school teacher, I'll still say schools, the primary aim and main objective is to make sure we get children educated so they can get their yeah, six SATs, GCSEs, A-levels. Um, but we do live in a, in a new climate environment where we need to be sort of more sensitive to the needs of young people. And I'd say it's about bringing balance to this debate. Obviously, that cat example is an extreme one. And I think, yeah, the teacher there probably needs... <laughs> having a word to. But I think if we can have a system where young people are educated, again, in the maths and the science and English, but at the same time, demonstrate being empathetic, having compassion and social justice. I think that's, a, you know, we're developing better young people. And of course, we get extremes on either side, but I think it's trying to make sure we develop the full rounded person that's sympathetic to others. So I always tell, again, when people ask me, Bobby, are you a woke person? I said, oh, I don't like these terms being attached to me, but if you are saying that, am I Mr. Siegel, a compassionate teacher? Yes. If someone has an issue, listen to them, trying to understand what it is and get to the bottom of it rather than dismissing them immediately. Yeah, I told you his name is Bobby Siegel. Uh, am I Mr. Siegel, a compassionate teacher? Yes. Bobby Siegel. And I think sometimes you do have to draw lines. If one of my students said to you, Mr. Siegel, in a, Mr. Siegel. In a math lesson, I think I'm a cat, I'd probably maybe first find out, is it serious? Students sometimes do make jokes. But if they're serious, then obviously there's a, there's a deep underlying probably mental issue beneath that. So try and get to the bottom of it. I think having conversations is not a bad thing. Yeah, have some conversations. <laughs> I'm a cat. No, you're not. That's the end of that conversation. Ian says, Richie, um, if you wonder why Glastonbury would show that film anyway, it's not really their thing. Or he wonders why Glastonbury would show, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, the big lie. Well, you might remember when Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, he did attend Glastonbury. He came out on the main stage and he was regaled. The crowd regaled him with choruses of Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. And Michael Evis more or less endorsed Corbyn. Hence the decision to screen the documentary. I hear what you say, Ian. I doubt Glastonbury has screened many films over the years, but I don't know that Glastonbury hasn't. I really don't know that. Linda says, Eurosceptic Jeremy Corbyn let the millions of Labour supporters who wanted to leave the EU down badly. Feck him, says Linda. Of course, Linda. Jeremy Corbyn reversed himself on any number of issues. He was a long time Eurosceptic along with his mate Tony Benn. He understood the dangers of the supranational body, the European Union, what it would do to workers' rights in the UK. Of course, Corbyn was a lawyer. Nothing more than a lawyer and a grifter. You know, hi to Don, who says Corbyn wanted to nationalise public services, he says, which would have seen the profits of um, some Jewish-owned companies take a big hit financially, also making him enemies. Maybe. I'm not sure the Jewish companies own the, or, or, or have the lion's share of utility companies in the UK. I'm not sure about that, Don. Uh, Angela says, and Angela is Jewish, what crap, eh? I'm no fan of Corbyn either, even as a long-time Labour voter. No more, she says. I'm disgusted by these kinds of Jewish people. As a woman of Jewish heritage myself, Evis isn't great either. Hi to Graham, who says the Glastonbury Festival was co-founded by Winston Churchill's granddaughter, Arabella Churchill. Not so counterculture then. Richard says, I'd rather crap in my hands and clap 
as and go to Glastonbury with its greedy and agenda uh, biased, he says. Thank you. Uh, Nicky says, Richie, I hate Man City and FC Barcelona. Thank you, Nicky. <laughs> and Kay Hanley says, Corbyn paid the price for sitting on the fence, particularly over Brexit. His greatest asset was to waken a sleeping giant that challenged austerity. His downfall was his tendency to copy Jeremy Corbyn the first and turn the other cheek. Um, even the latter through, oh, excuse me. His downfall was his tendency to copy Jesus Christ and turn the other cheek. Um, even the latter through the moneylenders out of the temple. Hi to Bill. No, Bill, I, I don't even hate um, James O'Brien. I don't. I don't hate anybody. I just don't. Hi to Peter, who says you're bitter today, Richie, because you're not watching the cricket with a few beers. Uh, yeah, that, well, I might be, but I'm not. I've been following it this afternoon while preparing this programme. Hi, Louis. Thanks for your message, Louis. Hi to uh, Graham. I've got to move on. There are so many messages about the Corbyn film and the decision by the Glastonbury organisers to kowtow to the Board of Deputies of British Jews. It's too many comments to get into, but thank you for them. Um, hi to the sarcastic window cleaner to Jonathan Stone. Let's talk about this is kind of well, well obviously this is related to the previous item we'll stay with this harassment of children for a moment and then we'll move on and move away from it right do you think that the tendency of some children to I don't know to identify as animals is there any link to what we hear about children being confused about their identity is there any link do you think to what happened to children during the first particularly the first and then the later lockdowns. You know where they messed with children's minds by telling them that there was a deadly pandemic circulating the globe and that it was deadly for granny and granddad and don't hug granny or granddad because you could kill them. Children were messed up during the scam, right? Has that, do you think, played any part in children identifying as dinosaurs and cats, even though that seems to be very, 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 very rare? Help me out here. Your thoughts to richieallen.co.uk or via the app. Download the app from the App Store or do it through Google Play or Google Play. But you might have heard about Claire Page lately. Hang on. Just do this. Yeah. Now, Claire is a, a woman who asked her daughter's school to disclose the sex education materials they were using in the lesson to the mums and dads. So Claire Page said, right, I want to see exactly what you're showing my daughter. And the school said no. She took the school to court, but the court sided with the school. And they sided with the school basically on commercial interests because the sex education materials being provided to the school are being provided by a third party, an outside party. Right? And the judge ruled that the, the the third party had a right to protect its intellectual property. What an excuse that is, right? Mums, we won't show you that which we are using to fuck up the minds of your children. We won't show it to you because the intellectual property rights of a third party are in play. This is crazy. Um, this woman has crowdfunded around about £11,000, by the way, to appeal this, she's not going away. She spoke to Times Radio yesterday 
Claire Page. She explains all to Times Radio. My daughter told me about a sex education lesson that she received at her secondary school and I felt that some of the teaching was quite controversial. So I wanted to see the actual um, materials, resources that she was shown and I was told that they were unavailable because of commercial secrecy. Because they come from a third party, not the school itself. Is that the issue there? That's correct, yes. So a third party uh, RSE provider visited for a drop down day, as they call it. Um, And uh, yes, they said that showing this would or or showing their their commercially secret material would obviously open them up to being copied by other providers. Um, And so uh, I wasn't able to see it. She wasn't able to see it, right? You can't have it because it breaches the copyright um, entitlements of the third party which provided the materials. A little bit more. I was concerned that um, the lesson had been described as being about consent and obviously that seemed like a very sensible subject to me. I think teenagers should learn that. So I gave permission to my daughter for my daughter to attend because it was a lesson I could have withdrawn her from if I wanted to. Um, and when she returned, her description was uh, that she'd been taught uh, that we live in a heteronormative world. This is a very bad thing, um, that she should be sex positive in her attitude to relationships. I think she was given some training in intersectionality theory as well. Um, and none of these things had been presented to parents before going into the lesson, even though uh, we are supposed to be very well briefed. Uh, on on what's happening in our sex and uh, relationships education. What does sex positive mean in in this context? Well, that's a good that's a good question. In a way, what does it mean? Um, it it tends it's been defined by many different people, and it's it's uh, it exists in an academic theory, and some interpretations are very benign and suggest it's about having a you know a positive attitude to your relationships, uh, being accepting, accepting, inclusive, and uh, and fair in the way you conduct your relationships. But if you if you look at the more extreme interpretations, it's about accepting all sexual practices. It's about being um, kind of, uh, you know, in a way, having a fully liberal attitude to sexuality in in the extreme. In the extreme. We're getting somewhere now. This is very eloquent stuff, right? This is what I've been trying to explain to myself as much as anybody else in the last couple of years, where she's going with this. That actually, I think, is inappropriate to tell children. I think it's a contentious idea um, and uh, even sometimes it it can be dangerous. I think we can draw a distinction between facts and theory. Um, So, you know, um, imparting facts um, seems like a very good idea, I think, to most people. Um, And then allowing children to interpret that in the way they want to and also to have the cultural ideas that they and their family uh, might uh, want to discuss. Um, is something that I think is perhaps um, not the school's role. I don't think the school is there to teach children um, uh, uh, the way that they should approach um, their sexual relations, for example. I think these are really difficult moral questions and we we can't um, tell people how um, how to do that. How to feel. It's like you're introducing concepts to children, you know, fetishism and... Fetishism, yeah, definitely fetishism, right? And queer theory. And you're telling the children that this is how you must feel about this. You must feel that this is fine and dandy. And not to feel that it's fine and dandy. And not to express that. And to ally yourself with the weirdo who wants to wear a fucking furry costume, right? Or the weirdo who says that he's non-binary, 
which is bollocks. You can't take your own moral position on that. You must feel how we tell you to feel about it. It's fine and dandy and it's perfectly normal. And that's what I've been saying for a couple of years about this stuff. This is the danger of this stuff. Listen. I think we can discuss it and we can have um, an open mind, but we shouldn't be indoctrinating, which is where you, you pass your version and your moral code onto other people with, with some degree of certainty. Absolutely right. Right. What goes on behind closed doors is nobody's business so long as it's legal. But we do take moral positions on sexual behaviour and on sexual fetishism. We do. And what they're trying to remove, and they really are trying to fuck up the minds of children, is to get in there and tell the children, you don't get to be moral, you basically get to become a robot. Nothing is to shock you or to upset you. And anybody's behaviour, it doesn't matter how extreme it might be, well, that's their lived experience, that's who they are, and you've got to take it. And you've got to live with it, and you've got to be okay with it. And as I said, you've got to be an ally of that person. And that's the insane and the dangerous and the wicked, I suppose, is the term you might use here, part of all of that. Exposing children to things that the children might feel are disgusting, but telling them it is wrong, sinful maybe, to, 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 to think anything other than what we say you should think and feel about this. And that's what she's getting at. And she did brilliantly to describe that to Times Radio. Uh, yesterday did Claire Page, the mum who was told she had no right to see the materials, lest uh, the intellectual property rights of a third party uh, be breached. Insane. Alice asks, are the secondary school children acting the maggot because they can get away with it? Like identifying as cats and horses. I think some bright sparks... They might think this is a good way to wind up the teacher better than double chemistry, says Alice. That's an interesting point, Alice. Now, Sarah says, I'm a learning support assistant in senior school. A child that is known for disrupting classes decides he will bring in the Bible as a distraction in class. He knows that if you ask him to put it away, he can respond with, are you saying I can't practice my faith? It's bullshit, Richie, says Sarah. Teachers are not prepared to confront children because of legal implications. That is very interesting, Sarah. Thank you for sharing that. Stephen from Belfast. My brother-in-law's niece has a cat who allowed a litter tray in her class, says Stephen. Mickey has been on to say, I am a window cleaner and my kids are self-identifying as transparent. Thank you. <laughs> Sam is finding it very funny, but knows it isn't very funny. Hi to David in Bournemouth. Hi, David. Richie, the furry thing does sound funny, but I looked it up and it's actually a sexual fetish. Kids dressing up as gimps doesn't appeal as much, but it's along uh, the same lines. Shane came on to say, I literally dodged the cane as I entered junior school. However, I did have my arse spanked by a head teacher at primary school when I absconded, says Shane. Thank you, Shane. My cub says the kids could be having a laugh or rebelling or even rebelling against the stupidity. They might be. William says, Richie, the easy fix is ask for your kids to be taken out of the class, removed from sex education classes. That's not a bad idea. I think Claire Page said that she could have absented the child from the, from the class that was due to deal with consent. Yes. Okay. Craig says at various times the me media uses terms like flock, herd, animals and dinosaurs 
to describe parts of or the whole of the masses, the great unwashed. Kids shows have also, over the past few decades, moved very heavily towards portraying favourite characters as animals, like Pepper Pig, for example, and children do imitate, says Craig in his opinion. Jonathan says, when I was young, my parents kept me on a tight lead, but thankfully, no muzzle, thankfully. Fantastic. Dave the Nurse says, I've got to get out of the West. Political arguments over whether a lemon sherbet or a raspberry twist should be preferred is really too much to deal with. That is Dave the Nurse. I'm going to take another tune. After that, it's more of your comments and then we'll talk about something completely differently. Because I think we need to take a break from the old gender identity and queer theory nonsense, don't we? As the time is 13 minutes to the top of the hour, the Richie Allen Show broadcasting live from BBG Towers. Music from Boston, more than a feeling on the Richie Allen Show. It's nine minutes to the top of the hour. Thank you, Patricia Braunschweiler. And, and yourself, by the way, no more than yourself. You've had plenty to say about Palestine and the crimes of Israel over the years, to your absolute credit. And, uh, and well, you know about Irish pa- uh, passion. Thanks, Patricia. William says, I, I always felt, or I felt that you always gave Corbyn the benefit of the doubt it was Corbyn who did the rest. I didn't, William. When Corbyn was surprisingly elected as the leader of the Labour Party, I went big in an early monologue about how, how many would be fooled and how many would follow him, but it would amount to nothing. And it did cost me early on because this was... Um, when did he win the leadership of Labour? It was 2016, I think, was it? Late 2015. It was definitely 2016-ish. And I went, um, I went in. You know, I, I, I went early. Let's put it that way. I remember having a conversation with David Icke, actually, because David Icke put out something on davidicke.com, which I found bizarre. And it was along the lines of, when everybody is trying to silence this guy, it must mean that he has something to say. And I said... Surely you don't believe that Jeremy Corbyn is the answer. And to be fair to David Icke, he came back to me privately and said, no, 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 on reflection, no. I said, thanks, I thought you'd lost your mind for a moment there. This was very early on in Corbyn's tenure as Labour leader. Now they followed him the way that Trump's people followed him and believed him. Oh God, they believed him. And I felt so sorry for many socialists, especially the older ones in this country, who believed this was it. This was the time. We've now got a genuine dyed-in-the-wool socialist trade unionist in the Labour Party. And this is amazing. And oh, what times we will have. And I felt sorry for them. And it was many of those people who knew me of old and were just shocked to the bone marrow that I didn't support him. They couldn't believe it. Many of them, to their credit, have been back. You know, have come back to me privately and said, Richie, Jesus, uh, we were wrong. I said, well, fair enough. Like, I've been wrong a million times too. You know, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> you know, Just don't keep falling for them, for these idiots. They'll fall for them in America, won't they? They'll fall for your man in Florida. Oh, look, he's saying all the right things. He's standing up to woke. Oh, he's great. Stop falling for them. Hi, Gillian. Richie, my word. Uh, in my day, if you disagreed, back-chatted, or were a smart arse, you were told to stand in the bin in the corner, face the wall, because you were rubbish. 
No, it wasn't ruled by none, says Gillian. Thank you, Gillian. Isabel says kids who identify as animals are quickly dismissed as being silly or just in a phase. It shouldn't be any different then for the kids who identify as the opposite sex. That's a good point. And William says in Derry, Richie, I have a friend whose daughter was straight as a teenager. She then went to university and came out as a lesbian. Fast forward five years, she is now transgender and is transitioning to being a man. She's broken up with her lesbian girlfriend and is now dating a gay man, as she has said, as much as she is a man, she is still gay. Her dad, the poor fecker, said to me, that's the long way around to get some... I'm not going to finish that, but I hear you. It's uh, six minutes to the top of the hour. Does anybody know what's going on with the media obsession with the social media influencer Andrew Tate? Does anybody know what's going on? Uh, the UK media in particular is obsessed with this guy. Uh, here's BBC News this lunchtime. Now, though, prosecutors in Romania have charged the controversial influencer Andrew Tate and his brother Tristan with rape, human trafficking and forming an organised crime group to exploit women. Two associates of the brothers have also been charged. Andrew Tate was first arrested at his home in Bucharest in December. Prosecutors allege that the four defendants formed an organised criminal group to commit human trafficking in Romania and other countries, including the United States and Britain. Well, our correspondent in Bucharest, Lucy Williamson, gave us the latest on today's charges and the background to the case. Lucy Williamson had a very contentious or hostile interview with Tate a couple of weeks ago. It's available on the BBC iPlayer or on YouTube. Confrontational chat they had. Here she is. This investigation has taken six months to complete. They have been in detention or under house arrest for all that time. And Romania's organised crime unit have come out with a statement this morning which outlines some of the information that led to this indictment. As you outlined there, we know the, the main charges that are being filed. We know there are seven alleged victims who are apparently allegedly recruited by false promises of love and marriage by the two Tate brothers and it does seem to be quite a wide-ranging set of charges. The, the charge of human trafficking is an umbrella charge and un, within that there are several counts against each of the four defendants. Uh, we're also getting some information from the organised crime unit about the assets that have been seized, properties, cars, luxury watches, but also more than 300 million US dollars in cryptocurrency. What? 300 million dollars in Cryptocurrency? How did Andrew Tate get $300 million in cryptocurrency? Answers, please, through the website, through the app. And we're told that there's a, there are separate charges that are still under investigation that may be the subject of a separate indictment in the future, and they include money laundering, influencing statements and trafficking of minors. He, he, sound, he sounds like an international criminal, doesn't he? That's how they want to make him out anyway. The... The thing that amused me earlier this year was in some schools, special assemblies were hastily convened. Do you like that? Special assemblies were hastily convened and boys were told, many, I presume many who didn't even know about Andrew Tate. You know, you talk about there's no such thing as bad publicity. Hastily convened assemblies to tell boys who might not have heard of Andrew Tate that he's a terrible bad influence and he's a misogynist. You really don't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, Lucy Williamson, who is this guy, Andrew Tate? 
He's become extremely well known, particularly amongst uh, young people, for his controversial statements online. He and he's become extremely well known because the BBC and Channel 4 and the radio stations have been obsessed with the guy and have basically promoted him. Do you not find that a bit strange, no? He presents himself as someone who teaches young men how to be men. He gives them inspirational statements, but he also puts out uh, advice on relationships that's really concerned a lot of people across the UK. Uh, police, teachers, rights organisations have all warned about his influence. Um, and so the investigation here in Romania has, has really increased the spotlight on him and brought many more people into awareness of the kind of things that he's been saying. I should also mention that his team have responded to the indictment here this morning with a statement saying that the brothers embraced the opportunity to demonstrate their innocence and she said our primary focus will be to establish the truth. Yeah, yeah. Who is Andrew Tate really? Why the media interest in him to the point of promoting the guy's views and all the talk of incels and Stuff like that. You know what's going on there? Help me out. 90 seconds to the top of the hour. Hi to Gerard. Hi, Gerard. Listen, I think I've answered this before, Gerard. I'm not going to answer it again. Um, I, I speak as I speak. And I use phrases as I use phrases. Uh, you know, to have people getting wound up because I will say Jesus or Jesus occasionally. Don't be wound up by it. I don't know why you're wound up by it, but um, I, I'd just not listen if I were you because I'm not going to, um, you know, put put a, put a cap or a corb on how I speak or self-censor because you don't like the occasional use of a word which we've used to express ourselves in my country ever since my country came into existence. Probably not. That might be an exaggeration. We use the term Jesus sometimes. We don't say it in any negative way. It isn't in any way insulting your creator or the creator you believe in. So I'll just carry on speaking as I speak. And if you don't like it, Gerard, sadly, I'll be disappointed, but don't listen. That's about the best thing to do. You know, nobody puts a gun to your head and tells you to watch Hawaii Five-0 or Magnum. The new Magnum is terrible, isn't it? It's absolutely terrible. How could you remake Magnum? Nobody puts a gun to your head and says, you've got to watch this, you've got to listen to that. So while the comments are appreciated, repeatedly asking me the same question and getting the same answer. No, I'm not going to self-censor. I will, I will, I will speak as I always spoke or speak. I'll continue to be myself. And if you don't like it, well, you know, what can you do? You've got to, you just got to move on. You got to move on sometimes. It's exactly six o'clock. Thank you for those to those of you who've been keeping me updated with cricket news. I am following it. I've got it open in another on another computer. Not watching it. I'm talking to you. You've got my undivided attention. But I'm having the odd glimpse over during an audio clip. Um, Australia are 211 for seven. They're chasing 281. They are seven down. Apparently it's very exciting. But uh, there might be some rain on the way at Edgebaston in Birmingham around 6.30 which might make things very interesting. The draw is still a possibility. All results are still possible at Edgebaston in the first Ashes Test of the summer. Indeed. OK. Thanks for your messages, by the way, richieallen.co.uk, through the app. The app can be downloaded via your App Store or your Google Play. 
richieallen.co.uk comment live. And Baird says, they love to have these stories talking about crypto and money laundering and trafficking to help demonise crypto in the minds of the normies. Now, I fell out, I, I suppose I fall out. You wouldn't be doing your job over eight years if you didn't sometimes fall out with your listeners. I remember one guy whose name I don't remember, um, about five, six years ago, went nuts on Twitter because I did a monologue where I opined. And of course, most of the time I am opining, I'm opining with no great knowledge of the subject. You see, got to be honest about it. Not most of the time, but some of the time. I should be fair to myself. Some of the time I opine about things I don't know very much about. But I tell you time and time again, it is my opinion. I do not claim it to be fact. So years ago, I looked at cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and it occurred to me that isn't this a lovely way to introduce people to the idea of cashless society? And that drove some people nuts who listened to the programme and they sent some abusive messages in. One guy, phone, phone and show, got all knickers in a twist and hung up because I stuck to my guns and said, listen, you know, you say that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are a way for people to conduct transactions amongst themselves outside the tentacles of the system. I say that if you think that this can happen outside of the system, well, you're living in cloud cuckoo land. Because while you might be able to trade amongst yourselves and some bloke has got something you want to buy and he accepts cryptocurrency, what about when everybody else in the world says, no, we won't uh, accept your cryptocurrency as payment? What about when governments conspire to forbid people from using your cryptocurrency and governments introduce their own central bank digital currencies. I was saying this back, way back when. People said, oh, no, no, you're full of shit, Richie. I was only asking questions. I don't know anything about these currencies. I've never owned Bitcoin. Somebody attempted some years ago to support the programme through giving me some Bitcoin. And I said, look, stop, will you? I don't have a wallet. I wouldn't know how to use it or how to spend it. So no, thank you. And we didn't have any money at the time. So maybe it wasn't the smartest thing for me to do. Brian says it's totalitarianism, this uh, queer theory, undermines society to weaken it, says Brian. You will allow perverts. It's for the greater good, blah, blah, he says. Uh, it might be. I mean, that's a generalisation, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you most of the way. Yes, it is to break down societal norms, decency, you know, this agenda to tell children that you shouldn't think any other way about these things that we would have said were deviancies over the years, even though we didn't have any problem with them. I didn't give a damn about people's proclivities in the bedroom. I remember doing the men's sexual health program in Spain, which I love doing. And we, we talked graphically, not in a smutty, you know, juvenile way, but in a, in a, in a grown-up way, we talked about healthy sex and what have you. And some people would phone in and they would talk about the things that they were into. And I found them a bit disgusting sometimes, but I wouldn't make a moral judgment against that person. You know, didn't think the person was necessarily a bad person. Just thought they were a bit screwed up. But I reserved the right to think that 
your behavior in the bedroom is a bit, you know, it's a bit disgusting for me. They're trying to change all this. Introduce these fetishes to children who have no business hearing about fetishes. No business whatsoever. But to talk to them about these things and then to tell them that um, not to consider these things, to dismiss them, to turn your nose up at them is to be, well, is to be bigoted in some way and is not to be tolerated. Yeah, who, who would have a child in primary school or secondary school in 2023? Uh, certainly not me. You know, how could you allow your children be exposed to that? I have no idea. It's um, Tuesday's programme. It's uh, the 20th of June. The time is coming up for six minutes past six. Let's talk about this for a moment. Andrew Tate, you tell me. Very interesting story, horrible story, unsurprising really, in the press today about cancer and about the fact that more than 100,000 patients have seen their cancer spread or worsen due to treatment delays. And again, this is no news or it isn't news, it isn't surprising to us because we've been following this, right? So Macmillan Cancer Support says patients are facing inhumane situations with their lives threatened because of a shameful failure to deliver NHS care in time. And its analysis has found that in the last 10 years, and of course it's gotten worse in the last two years, 180,000 cancer patients or sufferers in the UK waited at least two months to start treatment after an urgent referral. So the referral was urgent. This person needs to be dealt with now, but had to wait two months. And Macmillan has launched a campaign entitled What Are We Waiting For? The campaign highlights delays at every turn. Look at my own situation. They said to me, we've seen, we've, we've given, we've done an x-ray. We've seen shadows on your lungs. We think you've got thickening. It might be cancerous. You've got to go and have a CT scan. Okay, says I get the CT scan. Please, if you don't mind, as soon as you can. They said you'll be waiting three to four months. I've been very lucky. It's come back clear. Thank God and, well, thank whoever, right? But for many people, that won't be the case. And for many people, they wouldn't have been able to find the money to, to go private and pay for the same scan. So, um, this was covered by LBC Radio this morning. A representative from Macmillan Cancer speaking to Nick Ferrari. When you're faced with a diagnosis, that's hard enough. You shouldn't then have to face unnecessarily delays to your treatment, to your care and support which is why we're calling for that long-term investment in our cancer workforce. Is this picture common across the whole of the United Kingdom, that is to say England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland? Is it the same? That's correct. So the data that we published today is looking at the situation across the country and we're seeing real challenges across all four nations. So, for instance, in Northern Ireland, about one in three people are facing delays to their treatment across England, cancer waiting times are at the worst ever on record that we've seen. Similar challenges across Scotland and Wales. So this is a message to all governments, not just the UK government, to make sure that they're investing in the longer term, they're growing our cancer workforce. And we can turn this around. That's really important to remember. Well, that was what I was going to conclude, conclude with. Is this all down to cash? How is this to be reversed? 
So this can be reversed if we act now. So if we start investing in the right numbers of training places for nurses, doctors, in the years to come, we can be sure that we're future-proofing our cancer workforce so that we've got the right numbers of staff. But governments need to act now and to take this problem seriously. Senior Policy Advisor for Macmillan Cancer Charity, Minesh Patel, there speaking to Nick Ferrari. I mean, they properly wrecked everything with their scam, didn't they? With their COVID lies. They used the threat of a pandemic. The reality, of course, it wasn't a reality. The lie that we are in the midst of an almost biblical plague. They used that to wreck everything. I mean, everything you can think of. Education, the private sector. Health, they have wrecked it, haven't they? And I can hear you shout at your device, your radio or your phone. Yes, Richie, they did this to build back better. You're damn right, that's why they did it. Gillian mentions the Titanic, the missing sub with the billionaire and four others who've gone missing on a, on a journey down an adventure down to see the Titanic. Yes, I didn't mention this at the top of the air because it isn't the the type of story we would ordinarily cover on this programme. But very interesting, the coverage of this. Again, blanket coverage, top of the hour. A submersible, little um, tiny little submarine has gone missing with wealthy people on board who can pay £175,000 to get a little expedition down to the whatever's left of the Titanic. And we know, of course, about the great Titanic conspiracy, don't we, dear listener? It was an insurance scam. We know that, don't we? God, we know that. Talked about that many times over the years. If you don't know anything about that now, you'll be really intrigued. Holy God, Richie, tell us more. Richie, tell us more. No chance. Not today. But I do know a man who knows all about that. I might invite him on the programme. Here are the Hollies. The Hollies and Carrie-Anne on the Richie Allen Show. It is 14 minutes past the hour. Lovely to be with you this Tuesday. Please support the programme if you can. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. I like to think David Keane is joking. He asks me for my view on Richard Tice from the Reform Party. David says he's making me think there's a chance of change, even though I'm not falling for it. I think you're winding me up. I don't think you meant that. Of course, there's no chance. Kevin Kelly says 90% or more of the population will accept the central bank digital currency. Just another convenience gig like Apple and Google pay. They will stumble into tyranny, says Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Pam says, Richie, thanks for your hard work. You're welcome. I enjoyed the two doctors yesterday, says Pam. Um, very brave and very true and remind myself and my husband of the old days he was brought up in the Isle of Lewis and although he isn't religious black sheep of the family she says uh, the basic family values were great caring about others and telling the truth that is so important says Pam thank you Pam hi Bill Bill says why would anyone want to go in a sub to look through a glass window of the Titanic Bizarre. Might as well just put on a 3D headset and look at it instead. There's no difference, says Bill. And Dave Simpson says, Richie, my next door neighbour's daughter died because of COVID. She was receiving cancer treatment and that stopped because of COVID, says Dave. Thank you, Dave. 
Hi to Wiz, who says, I wonder if the Pakistani billionaire in the submarine is a big supporter of Imran Khan. And Len says, people are missing out on big pharma money spinner of chemo because of the scamdemic. Len says, it might have actually saved lives because chemo kills most people, not the cancer. According to Len, real cancer cures are in fact suppressed. And I have a bit of sympathy with that point of view too. Thank you, Len. Yeah. But you know, Len, it's not all chemo these days. There are many um, treatments now, proton treatments, and you read about these treatments in the last few years which don't involve just the horrible chemo, and they have been successful without killing all the good cells. So there are some treatments in place today that are not chemo, and maybe people are dying because they didn't get access to to those treatments. Yeah, absolutely. And Craig says about the Titanic story, it's a very interesting proposition and story. And Mark mentions John Hamer. I've spoken to John Hamer in the past, but the Titanic person who came on to speak with me died some years ago. The gentleman's name was Robin. Do you remember him? He took part in a Sky documentary about the Titanic switch theory, which Craig mentioned. And I really enjoyed that conversation. He, he, he published a book did uh, Robin. Faisal says, when I was a kid, we had to find piles of adult magazines on waste beside a railway bridge to find out about these fetishes. <laughs> now they lecture about them in schools. That's progress, says Faisal. Maybe it is. I did Tig, who says, Richie, did you see on the Irish Independent today where there will be a shortage of fruit and vegetables in supermarkets? I did see that article. That's right. Blaming it on Ukraine and, uh, and other issues. That's right. Fear-mongering. Fear-mongering about uh, a shortage of food. It's all... Maybe it's predictive programming. I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. Drew says, Richie, me and the missus love listening from Torremolinos. How are you doing, Drew? And thank you for that message. I really appreciate it. Cool in the gang. Now... What was I going to do? There is another story, is there, we can do before, um, before, before I take my leave of you today. Tomorrow, I've got a really interesting lady called Fiona Price on the programme. Tomorrow, Wednesday. Don't want to miss her. Fascinating lady. Was introduced to her by my pal Jean Ann Crowley. Fiona tomorrow, extended conversation. And I'm full to the brim on Thursday too. So it's a busy week on the Richie Allen Show. Anytime you miss a programme, it's very simple. You can catch up. It's very simple to catch up. You catch up by going to podomatic.com or the many other uh, platforms where the podcast is hosted. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Now, The Sun newspaper. Yes, we hate The Sun. We don't hate anything. I said earlier I don't hate anything. I've got to be consistent. The Sun. Boo, hiss, Hillsborough. We hate The Sun, right? Disgusting newspaper. Anyway, I can't help it. I see this stuff. It passes my desk. Um, it did a survey. It, it asked YouGov to do a poll about uh, net zero policies. You know the government wants us to be net zero. Basically, our activities um, produce net zero carbon, CO2. Basically, we stop producing CO2. We stop um, omitting, emitting, emitting, emitting CO2 by 2050. Right? 
And that's just madness. And of course, it's worse than madness. It is death. We know this. So the Sun newspaper asked YouGov, which conducts polls, please conduct a poll for us to find out what does the public think about it. 62% of the people responding to the poll said that getting prices down and returning to some semblance of normality, having a decent life is far more important than achieving carbon neutral status by midway through this century. So this is interesting. Kate Ferguson from the Sun newspaper speaking to Talk TV today. Kate Ferguson. Yeah, I mean, this is a poll which really gives a glimpse into what Sun readers think. Look, look around. What's going on? Mortgages are rocketing. Inflation's rocketing. People are finding it harder and harder to make ends meet. And clearly, they just do not want the government to be slapping kind of green levies, bans on things that could push up their costs even more. I think all these things, banning cars by petrol cars by a certain date, slapping levies on this, that and the other, those are kind of things that are always really controversial for the government to do because effectively they tend to hit consumers and they hit them in the pocket. And what consumers do they hit? They tend to hit consumers that are just struggling to get by, not the really posh ones that can kind of go off and buy a Tesla electric car and, you know, have a nice charging point in their off-street off driving. They're the ones that, that don't notice. It's everyone else. So this poll is really warning ministers as they go into the next election, will look be careful what green policies you want to adopt because if that means pushing costs up you could find that the public really punish you at the ballot box yeah you might get punished at the ballot box i'm not so sure about that but um speaking to julia hartley brewer same station uh net zero watch is an organization that attempts to keep um you know to to bring some reality to the whole conversation around net zero so Net Zero Watch is kind of anti-Net Zero. A guy called Andrew Monton, or Montford, Monton, I think, spoke to uh, Julia Hartley Brewer about this today. Listen. It just shows, doesn't it, that the, the public are, as, as usual, way ahead of the political classes. Yeah. The political classes are still working under this delusion that they can decarbonise the economy. You know, I, I think we've said before, the whole idea is, is entirely irrational. Um, and I think the public is starting to see through it, um, which is very welcome. The problem is, of course, that, um, as you as you alluded to before, all the political parties are agreed, or all the main political parties are agreed, that this is what we've got to do. Mm. It's almost, You could almost see it as a conspiracy against the British public. You know, they're, know. they're not going to be offered a choice on this issue. Yeah, I mean, all these ridiculous COP26, COP27 meetings that they have every single year to work out how they can screw the public even more and how much uh, gas uh, and electricity they can get rid of in order to replace it uh, with, a, with a much more expensive form of less efficient energy provider it seems extraordinary to me um that they're marching down this road because again whenever i and you and i've talked many times andrew about this whenever you ask anyone to define what net zero is apart from a very glib sort of oh well it means that you you know take account of the carbon that you're using and you try to reduce that and get it down to zero there is no real actual answer to net zero and what it is no there is no answer when you ask anybody i mean i've written to um environmental groups, not as myself. Sometimes I've written using a pseudonym, right? Asking them to explain it to me. I I usually use the guise that I'm all for it, like. I'm all in favour of it. But uh, they can't tell you. I think they know, but they're not allowed to tell you. They have no plan, do they? I mean, if if you look at um, um, uh, Keir Starmer's uh, statements um, during the week that he's going to 
just you know do some more onshore wind and it's all going to give us energy security and cheap bills i mean it just demonstrates how facile how 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 you know stupid these ideas are they don't have a plan for delivering it Mm. they're just sort of trying to signal um that they are you know they are part of the religion that's it really part of the religion that's what they are they don't have any answers when you ask them how do you plan to get to net zero Uh, they don't have any answers so right that's more or less it for me today early bath for me Uh, 90 minutes today Thanks for listening. Before I go, let me just read a couple of very quick messages before I do that. Hi to Philomena, who says, Richie, on the... If the parents took their little children out of school as a protest until they reversed this perverted agenda, this shit show would stop in a heartbeat. Thank you. And Ardell says, Anti-neoplaston therapy for cancer by Stanislav Brzezinski. There are great movies on davidike.com about it. Would you believe that David Icke himself only heard about Stanislav Brzezinski because I interviewed him on Talk Radio Europe back in the late uh, early noughties, 2009. Would you believe that? I was interviewing David Icke at the time uh, once every couple of months and David was listening in because he liked the programme of an evening while he was having a glass of vino at home on the Isle of Wight. And I interviewed Brzezinski about anti-neoplaston therapy. And um, this fascinated David, unsurprisingly, and uh, the rest is history. But yeah, I wish that archive was still available to me from my Spain days because there were some amazing people came on to talk about these things. Anyway, that is it for today's programme. Fiona Price tomorrow. You don't want to miss her. You may not have heard of her. Fascinating lady. Uh, You enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Speak tomorrow at five o'clock, usual time. Get in touch with the programme if there's somebody you'd like me to speak with um, by using the contact on the website richieallen.co.uk. Now, let me tell you this. I haven't and don't, as a rule, solicit support for the programme, but the programme needs support now. It really does. Like, it really does, right? Um, th- th- there's been no... The, in terms of listening numbers, the programme goes from strength to strength. It's maybe plateaued a bit. There's been no drop-off in listening numbers. But there has been a bit of dwindling in support, and I understand it because things are hard, hard for people. They're hard for everybody. I totally get it. But that doesn't change the fact that the programme has got significant bills. The streaming costs alone are astronomical, as you know. So please support the programme. There are bank account details at richieallen.co.uk. Please do that, right? Or Patreon. And as usual, of course, if you can't, if it isn't something you can do because you can't afford it, forget I mentioned it. But if you can and you haven't been supporting it, please support it now. Listen to me, right? Five days a week. If you include the Sunday show, it's 70 hours a week I work on this programme. You like it. You wouldn't be here otherwise. We don't have any advertising revenue. We get a little bit once in a blue moon. Thank you, Eamon. But we don't have consistent advertising revenue. It's down to you. It's your programme. If you want to keep it, please support it. Um, Closing out with Jeff Beck. See you tomorrow. Bye now. 